Welcome back to another episode of the Wholesome Mama Show. I, the last few weeks have been a huge whirlwind, hence why there has not actually been a podcast episode released for the last two weeks. But I'm so glad that you are back. I'm glad to be back. We have been, um, we've had to travel for family funeral for my sweet grandma who uh, has now gone to be with Jesus, her Lord and Savior, which was a very bittersweet time. We also then went away on a very quick camping trip just to get away and breathe, which was actually super refreshing. But I am so glad to be back with you today. And today I have a beautiful guest with me, Catherine Parks. Now, Catherine is a author and she's written several books, but we are here to talk about her latest book called What to Wear. And What to Wear is a Bible study for kids to really help them understand their identity in Christ. So I loved this. I I read it. We've gone through it. And it really is such a good practical uh, tool to hold in your hands to help your kids to learn how to read the Bible, how to study it and understand it for themselves. So this study takes your kids on a journey that helps them to discover their true identity in Jesus Christ. And what a beautiful thing that we get to teach our kids from a young age who they are. So Catherine, uh, she's a wife and a mom. She lives just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. And I'm so excited that she is with us today. So let's get into the interview with Catherine. Hey mama, do you want to balance maintaining your home, cooking, cleaning, all the things you have to do as a stay-at-home mum whilst being present with your family? Do you find yourself up late at night scattered thinking about all the things you didn't get done and so need to do tomorrow? Is your greatest desire for your littles to know and love Jesus? Hey, I'm Elise. When I became a mum, I felt overwhelmed and wished that I could just stay on top of everything. I wanted to be there for my family and yet all these things still had to get done. I was worried that I would spend this time too busy and miss it until I found the secret, partnering with God, even in our home life. In this podcast, you will find tactical tips for homemaking, help for your low-tox journey, as well as biblical parenting so that you will find God's joy and experience his peace in motherhood. Welcome to Wholesome Mama. It's time to go grab your cup of tea, reheat it because you know, and let's get into today's episode. All right, we have Catherine with us today. Catherine, I'm so excited that you are here. And can you, to kick us off, introduce yourself? And I'd love to know what motivated you to write the What to Wear Bible Study. Yeah, so I am a mom of two, two teenagers as of last week, and I live in the U.S. in the Nashville, Tennessee area, and uh, by day, I am an acquisitions editor for Moody Publishers, so I work with other authors and coach them, and then I've done some writing of my own, and um, a lot of my more recent writing has been based on and the ages of my kids and things that I was learning and um, resources that I wanted to be available for my kids. So, you know, I did a couple of collections of biographies for middle grade readers. And then uh, during the 2020 lockdown, like 
every other parent. I had a lot of extra time on my hands with my kids. And, uh, you know, we did not always redeem the time in the way that maybe we could have. Um, but I did realize one day, I think the Holy Spirit just showed me, you know, this is time that could be a real benefit to your family to have each other and to not waste it. And so I love the book of Colossians. I had studied it with some friends and um, was really just drawn in by the first 12 verses of Colossians 3. And so I sat my kids down at the time they were 12 and 9, and we would just spend some time a few mornings a week going through this passage and drawing pictures and talking about the different things that were called to take off and the things that were called to put on. And it was so sweet to have that time with them. And uh, and then we had the opportunity to kind of write that up. And I wanted to share it with people. And a friend asked if I would be interested in publishing it, which was an unexpected surprise, but it's been really fun to share it with other families. Yeah, I love the way I've been... Um blessed to have received the digital copy and I actually have a physical copy on my way which I'm so excited to like have it in my hands um but I love the way that you have set this out because one it is so simple for busy mums which if you're a mum you're busy but it's (laughs) so practical in the way that it's set out the um applications but also the activities and the way to get the kids involved because it's not just another bible study in that like all right I'm going to read you a passage here's a scripture now let's here's three questions about it like there's drawing there's writing there's filling in the blanks like it's so I I really love it and I'm um I wait for my son to go through it when we get the physical copy he's still a little bit young but I think some of the things we're going to be able to get to um But first of all, I think one of the things that you lay down as a foundational truth, which I think is something that every child needs to understand, is that finding our identity in Christ. And, you know, it's one thing for us, like as mums, we constantly go on a journey of reminding ourselves, no, my identity is in Christ. But how do we help share that with our children, that from, from a young age, and we can go even younger than eight like from a very young age, how do we teach our children the importance of knowing who they are in Christ? It is. I mean, you're absolutely right. We struggle to remember this as adults. So, um, you know, I think in some ways when we do learn it as kids, the hope and prayer is that maybe it's not such a struggle as we get older because we're not having to kind of reorient our thinking or shift it um, like so many of us have had to. But, you know, I think a lot of it is just from the very beginning speaking words of truth over them. And I there's so much beautiful language in this book of Colossians and in Colossians 3 and you know, one of the verses that I have always really loved is um, Colossians 3, 3. It says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And I, when I was studying this with friends, uh, one of the friends, her translation said, your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And mm-hmm. that has just stayed with me in such a almost tangible way of realizing, you know, all the things that we think are so important 
that's not our real life. Our real life is hidden with Christ and God. And what we do matters. It matters to him and it matters to the world around us. But I had a teacher in high school who was known for, you know, we would come in with all of our drama all the time. And he was a believer and he would say, in light of eternity, what does this matter? And I think part of that picture of finding our identity in Christ has to start with, um, you know, understanding the reality of what life is about and what our real life is. And, you know, that we aren't just these um, material beings, our bodies are important, but we're eternal. And there's a framework. And I think especially as our kids get to this age, when they are eight, nine, 10, and 11, they, they need that grounding because in a lot of ways, this is the age where things start to feel like they're spiraling out of control <laughs> for those kids. And where so many of the messages that we are combating in the world about identity, those are going to start being thrown at them at this age. And so being able to say, you know, you have a savior who loves you. God created you and intended you the way that he did for a purpose. And within this real life that we're talking about, this eternal life that he has given us, you have so much value because he's given it to you. And, you know, my prayer for my kids is that they would have that framework so that when these other messages come in, they can say, ah, oh, that just doesn't, seem like, you know, if, if I have a loving creator who made me, then what you're telling me about the way that I'm made being wrong doesn't fit within that framework. Um, I think one of the challenges of, as parents is we spend so much time kind of unpacking the negative influence. And so it's important to have opportunities like that time in lockdown or, you know, like moments around the dinner table where we can put in the good instead of always having to take out the bad. Yeah, it's almost like you want to be um, proactive with it rather than waiting for waiting for the world to tell them so you can come back with, well, no, this is what the Bible says. Like they already know what the Bible says. They already have that biblical foundation. Um as truth in their life right. to then combat that themselves when and particularly because they are around that age you know that's when they're, they're starting to move in towards high school they're starting to move towards puberty all this stuff is going on in their bodies and so having that as the foundation and it made me think of um I think it was later in the chapter around like verse 12 or something and it says oh I can't find it now but like you are um, therefore as God's chosen, holy and loved. Yeah. Like, and I think having, having th those three words are so powerful. I wonder if you can speak into that verse um, for a minute, because I think that having that, like that speaks to our identity being in Christ and those three words, if our children can understand that they are chosen, they are holy and they are loved. Like, that's it. That's game changing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think what's so beautiful about it is that those are kind of three of the key uh, identity crises that kids at this age have. Mm. Um, not being chosen, feeling left out is such a huge issue. Um, 
for all of life, but especially I think at at this critical juncture of their lives. And so to be able to say to your child, you have been chosen by the creator of the universe. He loves you and he chose you. And then, you know, holy, there is this, this identity crisis of I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. I'm never going to do anything right. You know, I think a lot of kids, they, they just wear their guilt and shame in such a heavy way. And they get to this age where they become more aware of their wrongdoing, I think, and of sin. And it's easy for them to just become crushed under that weight. And so to say, God, because of the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf, God has declared you holy. You're set apart for something good that he wants you to do, not because you are perfect, but because he is working on you and he is making you holy. And then to say you're dearly loved because so much of the time, these kids don't feel that way, or they feel like they have to earn that love. But for God to say, you've been chosen, I've called you holy, and you are dearly loved, not because of what you're doing, but because of me, because of the outflow of my love for you. That, you know, that's the identity that our kids need is the identity that we need as moms to walk through life. Because how many days do we struggle with these things? How many times do we struggle with feeling like we're not chosen? Or we've messed up too much as moms and we're carrying guilt or we don't feel loved and appreciated for what we're doing. So what I love about studying scripture with my kids is that uh, you kind of think, oh, I'm supposed to be teaching you something. But most of the time, it's what we need to hear more than they do. Yeah. And even being open about that, going like I'm we can learn this together like this is. And showing them that you're never going to get to this place of perfection in your Christian life. Like me as a mum, I'm even still learning. I'm still getting things wrong. I'm still, you know, going on that journey too. So let's start though with, let's get into a bit more about what is in the Bible study and get a bit more into what is in that passage of scripture. And I love that in the verse, before it tells you what, what to wear, what to put on, it says what you need to take off. And I love that you didn't leave this out because I think like it would have been a lovely Bible study to go, let's talk about the nice things to put on. Like, let's talk about all these nice things. But actually let's let's take off, you know, like and it lists like anger and lying um, and rage, filthy language, all those kinds of things. And as I was looking through, because um, I read the passage, obviously, before we got on here, and I was thinking, like, these are pretty much what are so openly expressed in our culture these days. And I don't even think that our kids need to get to preteen years before they see that, before this is their normal. Like, I take my kids to the park and I'm a little bit outraged at the filthy language that five-year-olds are speaking in the playground at the moment. Um, so how, how do we help our kids to stand firm against these things? Yeah. Uh, when, when we did this with my kids, one of the things that I had them do, which we kind of included a version of in the Bible study was to draw a picture of someone. And, you know, I told them make this just, 
the most ridiculous picture, something so ugly with clothing that you would never wear and that you just think of as so gross. And and we did that. And then they wrote all of these words around the exterior of the picture. And I wanted them to have this mental image to take away of, you know, what this looks like. Um to have this visceral reaction to these things that triggers a memory in their minds. Because I think you're right, we we see so much that it becomes normal. And uh, and once something is no longer gross to us and no longer offensive, then you know we don't we don't see the need to take it off. And what Paul is doing in this letter, he's writing to a community, not to just individuals, but to this church. And they've come from all these different backgrounds, and he's trying to help them to come together and be unified and to build each other up and be the community that they're supposed to be. But in order to do that, they cannot be lying to each other and they can't be angry with each other and using filthy language and doing all of these things that, you know, were part of their past. And I think that's one of the key things. Obviously, we want this for our kids as individuals, but we also realize that when we let things like this slide in our homes, it affects the community even within our home it affects the community within our church and um what i think is beautiful about maybe rethinking the way that we teach some of these things sometimes is to cast uh, a vision for how ugly this is and how beautiful the the opposite is um that it's not just this is a list of things that you shouldn't do because god says not to I mean, there is an aspect of that, right? Mm -hmm. But when we understand God's character as being loving and, and holy and for us, then what we start to realize is, oh, he doesn't want me to lie because it hurts me and it hurts the people around me. He doesn't want me to be angry and to yell at the people around me because that hurts them. And it hurts me to know that I've done that. And so I think, you know, we, we get into the study more and talk about compassion and some of those things, but I think part of building that is actually looking at ourselves and saying, it's sad when we do these things. It's sad when we go to the park and we hear kids talking like that because we know that's not, it's not good for them and it's not good for the people around them. And so instead of, um, you know, raising kids that feel judgmental or holier than thou to the people around them, it starts with identifying those things in ourselves as their parents and then helping them see them in themselves and maybe maybe they don't use filthy language, but maybe they've thought it, or maybe there are times that they've wanted to. And so building in that compassion and then the the foundation that we're all the same at the foot of the cross. We all need Jesus. And it's not a we're better than those people over there kind of mentality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's so important to to like strip it all back and we are all in need of a savior yeah I love that let's okay let's go into what to what to wear what to put on and one of the things and you've mentioned it a few times there being compassion and I I loved um the definition that you have in the in the book on compassion like being uh forget how it's worded now but like 
being moved, being deeply moved to take action. Like, and I loved that it wasn't like a lot of us can go, oh, we get deeply moved, but then like to actually take action. Um, and then one thing as I was looking through it and I, I wanted to have this um, and kind of hear your thoughts around when you were writing this was that teaching our kids compassion without making room for sin, without making allowance for sin. Um, because like we can have both compassion and convictions and we can stand firm on our convictions. So can you kind of speak into how we teach our children to have compassion but still stick on their convictions? Yeah, I think this is something that I have spent a lot of time in prayer over um, for my own kids, just because it is, it's always been something that has been needed, but it feels especially important right now in the day that they're growing up in. And, um, you know, I think even within the church, sometimes we can really swing from one side to the other. And compassion can look like it, it gets kind of skewed to acceptance and um, then celebration. And on the other side, conviction can go to a place of judgmentalism and anger. And, you know, I don't want either extreme for my kids. And I think that Jesus is the one that shows us the path forward. And in the chapter on compassion, the kids look at the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Uh, but what we kind of back it up and look at the fact that Jesus was exhausted. The disciples had just come back from this trip. Um, Jesus had found out that John the Baptist, his cousin and friend had been beheaded. And so there's just this heaviness and exhaustion. And he says, you know, let's go away to a remote place to be alone. And they get to this remote place and there's a huge crowd there. <laughs> and I think any mom can kind of um, resonate with that just a little bit, that there are times that we feel like I just need to get away. And then there's a kid like sliding a note under the bathroom door or something. Uh, but what I think is so beautiful about this is that it says Jesus looked on the crowd and he had compassion on them for he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so what we see is Jesus diagnoses the needs of these people and he feels compassion for their true condition. And then he teaches them because that's what they needed. They needed a shepherd, someone who would lead and guide them. And so I think the first step to really understanding compassion is to be able to see the true condition of the people around us. And uh, when I was in college, my husband and I went on a mission trip to Italy. And before we did any kind of ministry, the missionaries that we were working with sat us down and we looked at some passages of scripture that talked about how people who were lost were dead in their trespasses and sins, that they were slaves of sin. And he said, you know, when you go out and do ministry, what you need to see is these people are dead slaves. And that is an image that has stuck with me for so long. And so when we follow the pattern of Jesus and diagnosing people's needs, we can say, you know, 
it doesn't surprise me that these people are doing this because they're dead slaves. And how sad is that? And we can give our kids some of that language when it's age appropriate for them that, you know, we don't want to discourage kind of a visceral reaction to sin. When they're upset about sin that they see in the world, we should say, yeah, isn't that that's sad? That is against God's plan and his design. And we know it makes God sad. But we also understand why people do that, because they don't have the hope of Jesus's salvation. They don't have the freedom that he offers from sin. And so I think for me, that's been some of the language that I've tried to use with my kids is just to say, you know, let's understand the background, not making excuses for the sin, but understand why people are doing the things that they're doing and then what can we do? How can we take action? Maybe it's praying for them. Maybe it's building relationships with neighbors or, you know, other parents or kids at school. But that's the the compassion to not just take pity on somebody, not just to judge someone, but to step forward and to loving them the way that Jesus did. Yeah, yeah, I love that. So good. And I love the, like, and obviously, yeah, when it's age appropriate like I'm not going to go and tell my four-year-old oh they're just dead in their sin because <laughs> but, right. but understanding that 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 is why and that is what it is because and, and we don't have to have that again going back to the identity because we are we are chosen we are we are loved by God we are and those people are loved by God and that's why it hurts God so much because he loves them and yet they don't want him in charge yet. So hmm. I love that. The other thing, um, the other one that I wanted to touch on was gentleness, because I think that there are so many ideas in our world about what gentleness is and what is true gentleness. And I think it can be hard to discern, you know, with so many like and so many people love to throw around the word, word gentleness and like gentle, gentle this, gentle parenting, gentle, blah, blah, blah. Like, but what is true gentleness and how can we raise our kids to be gentle in spirit without being um, people pleasers or, you know, having people walk all over them or, yeah. I wonder if you can speak into yeah. that for a moment. Yeah, this was probably the one that was the hardest for me to wrap my mind around and then to try to explain it explain it in a way that eight-year-olds could understand. <laughs> it's really difficult. Um, and, you know, you look up gentleness and usually the definition is like meekness and you're thinking that doesn't actually help me very much because I don't really know what meekness is. That's not a word that we use very often either. Uh, but one of the the commentaries that I read explained it as uh, using our strength and power to lovingly help others. And that was just such a um, beautiful way to express something that we see Jesus doing. You know, you talk about someone who had ultimate authority, so much strength and power at his disposal, and yet he used just the right amount to encourage and lift up and build up. And what we see so much of the time with power in our culture is that people use it to keep others down. And so when we talk about gentleness, what I hope that our kids learn is they're going to be 
situations where maybe they're the best at something or you know, maybe they have the most of something or they're the oldest or, you know, some kind of strength has been given to them or they have worked for it. And what are they going to do with that? Where do they see examples of people using their strength to raise other people up? And I think we can look for stories like that in our culture, whether it's athletes or leaders or, you know, um, movies that we watch where we can point out, you know, that person could have used their power to to hurt people, but look at what they did with it instead. And obviously Jesus is our ultimate example. And the scripture talks about, you know, how the religious leaders were using their power to raise themselves up and keep everybody else down. And Jesus did the opposite. He's the one who ultimately gave up his power for us so that he could raise us um, to be part of his family and to be co-heirs with him. So, you know, it's, I, I think it really requires kind of redefining the entire concept for our kids, but I think it's worth doing. Yeah. Yeah. I love that definition because I think to a lot of people, gentleness can somehow equal weakness where actually, like that definition, using your strength and power, like to help, that's not that's not being weak. That's being in control and um and being humble about the strength and power that you do have. I love I love that definition. So, well, thank you so much. Just as we finish up, can you share maybe one final encouragement or something that's on your heart um, to share with the other mums who are listening? Yeah, I think one of the things I've learned the most about studying each of these things is that they give us a beautiful opportunity to meet our kids where they are. And you kind of talked about this a little bit, but our kids have a front row seat to our failure all the time. <laughs> um, they see it more than anybody else, probably. And I think every time that we fail in one of these things, it's an opportunity to point them to Jesus and to say, you know, I really struggled to be kind with my words, and I'm so sorry, but isn't it so wonderful that we have a Savior who is always kind, and to lead them not to us as the heroes and not to put that pressure on ourselves, but to use our failures and our weakness as an opportunity to lead them to their true Savior. And the beautiful thing about that is that I think it also gives them the language to go to him when they fail and mess up and when they're going to for the rest of their lives to be able to know, I saw my mom do this and it's okay. I know God still says I'm chosen, holy and dearly loved. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much, Catherine, for coming on and sharing uh, with us. And can you just share where everyone can connect with you? where they're going to be able to get the Bible study if they want to get their hands on that. That would be awesome. Yeah. So I have a website. It's cathparks.com. That's C-A-T-H-P-A-R-K-S. And that's my Instagram handle as well. And then uh, the book is available. I, it should be on Amazon in um, Australia, but pretty much anywhere books are sold, it should be available. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute honor to have you on and share your heart with us. So thank you so much. Thank you, Lisa. It's been a joy.
Well, that wraps up another episode and I pray that you were blessed by today's conversation and really got something out of it for you to take into your motherhood this week. If you did get something out of today's episode, please subscribe, leave a review so I know that you're loving the show. You can also come and chat on Instagram. The handle is at Wholesome Mama. And don't forget, we have a Facebook community too with mums just like you who are in the trenches of mothering littles. So come and join us over there as well. The link for everything is always in the show notes. Have a beautiful week, mum. Be blessed and I will be with you next week.